Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI Institute, where we have real conversations about real safety issues in healthcare. I'm your host, Paul Anderson. More than 5,000 member organizations across all care settings rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of patient care. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. Today, we're talking about wearable blood pressure monitors, part of a new wave of wearable health technology marketed directly to consumers. We'll talk about ECRI's evaluation of three models, our concerns, and what consumers and providers should know. To get us started, I'll ask our guest to introduce himself. Good morning. I'm Chris Levanchi, uh, Engineering Director at ECRI Institute. I've been uh, at ECRI for about 35 years now. So. Chris, maybe I thought we could start with some really basic basics. When we say wearable blood pressure monitors, what are these things supposed to do? Uh, Well, they are intended to be a way that you can measure your blood pressure conveniently at any time you're interested in doing that. But let me step back a moment. Uh, These devices are essentially a type of uh, fitness tracker. That's probably the best way to categorize them. And as you know, these have become, fitness trackers have become very popular and they're widely used. But it just so happens that some of these products do offer the ability to measure blood pressure. And they also, um, like other fitness trackers, can link with a smartphone app that allows you to upload the information or the data for storage. Or if you're interested, you can also use that to transfer it to an individual who might be interested in, in perhaps following your information. So it's, a, it's kind of a new technology. Okay. Um, one of the things that we think is particularly interesting about this is that in the U.S., um, high blood pressure or hypertension is a big problem. Um, from what we understand from CDC, about one in three adults has hypertension in the U.S. Another one in three is what they would describe as borderline hypertensive. So these are people that are are at risk for developing hypertension. And um, we also know one of the problems with hypertension is that people, first of all, it's, it's asymptomatic. Most people don't know they have it unless they've actually been measured. It's been measured and they've been told they have it. And it can lead to some really serious health consequences like stroke and heart disease. So there, there is an interest in, in better managing Uh, high blood pressure. Um, Again, CDC's statistics indicate that about half of Americans that are hypertensive are not properly managing their blood pressure. Mm. And they've they've said that um, one of the first things that these folks should be doing is measuring their blood pressure daily. But that's not always convenient. If you use a traditional cuff type of uh, blood pressure monitor, they're cumbersome, not something you want to be carrying around all day long. Right. Um, and they're also, they can actually be painful. I mean, if you have high blood pressure, the cuff pressure gets quite high. And people often discontinue making measurements just because it's so uncomfortable. Okay. So in our mind, these uh, wearables could be a really good um, adjunct to, uh, to blood pressure cuffs and would be a way for people who are hypertensive or borderline hypertensive to be able to, to check their blood pressure periodically and ideally be able to report that to their physician. So that was the premise of our evaluation. Let's take a look at these devices and figure out whether they would be useful for, uh, for this particular application. 
And so if I'm a patient, I, I, I get the upside, right? Why I would want to have this measurement. And, and clearly it's, it's more convenient than carrying around a whole cuff system and everything. Right. Um, so how do I go about getting one of these? Do I need to get a prescription from my doctor? Do I have to go to a medical supply company? Or can I just hop on a popular online retailer and, and pick one up? Well, and that, that's part of the, the challenge here is that these devices are not considered medical devices by FDA. Really? So the industry is not in any way regulated. And there are quite a few of these on the market that we've seen. And they are typically marketed through um, common retail, online retailers, uh, Walmart, you can find them at uh, uh, Amazon, of course, has them. Costco, I've seen, also does promote these. Okay. So um, they're readily available, but the lack of FDA oversight is something that we have some concerns about and wonder, you know, what the impact is. Uh, yeah. No, and, and you know, it's, it's so I'm, I'm, as I'm picturing other fitness trackers, right, I'm thinking about things like step counting, right, right. which even that, I think there are questions about how accurate that is about, uh, you know, the, the simple pedometer function. So that makes me, I understand why we would be looking at something a little bit more advanced than just counting, uh, you know, paces um, uh, across the room. So how are these things supposed to work? So I, I get... No, I think I get anyway how a cuff style, you know, blood pressure monitor is supposed to work. How are, how do these work, um, in both in terms of uh, measuring and then in terms of you know you talked about storing and communicating and all that. What are they supposed to do if they work well? Well, um, they do use an indirect principle to measure blood pressure. So unlike the cuff, where you're actually measuring pressure, what they're doing is they they monitor two um, areas of data. One is the ECG. And the other is the uh, pulse that you would have in your extremity, either a fingertip or a wrist. And by doing that, they're able to identify when the heart actually beats and when that pressure has reached your fingertip or wrist. The delay in that is directly proportional to blood pressure. So if you're hypertensive, it actually means that there's a shorter delay between when your heart beats and when the pulse reaches your fingertip. Because it's working really hard. It's pushing that blood through fast. Well, it, it, you could almost think of it, as, if you're familiar with how sound propagates, um, you know, if, if you have a sound on a, uh, through a solid material, it tends to propagate very quickly. But through air, it's a little bit slower. Okay. So um, the, the point, though, is that this is a technique that can provide very useful information about blood pressure. But it does require calibration. Uh, And I I emphasize that because everyone's anatomy and physiology is a little bit different. And so even though, you know, you might find that it works well for you right out of the box, if I try it on, maybe my body's a little bit different. And consequently, I might find that the pressure readings are quite off. So calibration really is important in order to make this work because it is an indirect method. Sure. That makes sense. Okay, so we looked at, um, I think, three models, if I have that right. Right. So I know we're not going to get, obviously, into model-specific stuff here. That's things our our members can get access to. But maybe if we can sort of talk very broadly about, you know, uh, what are the kind of things we looked at uh, in evaluating these devices and and maybe then from there get into some some of what our maybe our concerns were. One of the things that we're particularly interested in is what kind of support does the person get when they buy one of these? So Mm. because calibration is so important to make sure the device actually is giving you meaningful information, what we look for was 
how prevalent or how um, evident is it that you need to calibrate the device. And surprisingly, some of these manufacturers provide very little information or discussion about calibration, which is a little troubling because, as I said, you can't really be sure what you're getting is meaningful if it hasn't been calibrated. Um, the other thing that we were concerned about is that when we did calibrate the devices, we often found that they were off by quite a few millimeters of mercury from where they should be. Uh, so the accuracy for some of these may be quite poor, and others can be reasonably good. But you don't know that, again, unless you've got a point of reference, which the calibration does provide. And, you know, you say can be reasonably good. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but it strikes me that when I'm talking about something like my, my blood pressure, even reasonably good might not be a good enough standard. Yeah. <laughs> I want it to be pretty accurate. Agreed. Um, there are, I, I think, some guidelines for this. Okay. Generally, the American Heart Association, I believe, says that your blood pressure accuracy should be within five millimeters of mercury of okay. a trusted blood pressure measurement. Um, and that's, that is the ideal. That's what FDA looks for, I believe, in their, um, when, when they review a medical device. Is it accurate to within five millimeters of mercury? Gotcha. Um, some of the devices, you know, might be accurate to within 10 millimeters of mercury. That's where it starts becoming a little bit more uncertain as to the value of that information. Yeah. And we actually uh, found one of the devices we looked at was off by something like 16 to 20 oh millimeters of mercury. So it's way off. And, and three or four times the, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing is sort of an allowable or, you know, an the acceptable tolerance. tolerance. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. So if I'm a patient, and I'm just even picturing myself, you know, I have a smartwatch. I promise you, even if it had instructions about calibrating it when I put it on, I did not look at them. I just put it on and plugged in a passcode and went, you know. So if I'm a patient and I put one of these on, what, you know, what kind of risk am I in if I'm relying on readings in either direction that are not reliable? That is, that's part of what was uh, concerning to us when we did this evaluation. I can give you some hypotheticals. If a person, for example, let's say they're hypertensive and they're on medication for that, mm -hmm. and you know, their doctor says, well, you should check your blood pressure, make sure it stays you know, at a reasonable level, and you know, you're not going over that level. So the person gets one of these devices and then monitors their blood pressure every couple of days, maybe even every day, and they notice that it's normal. It's completely normal. And they start thinking, oh, well, maybe I don't really need this blood pressure medication. Mm -hmm. I mean, it gives me side effects I'm not really happy about. Maybe I could stop taking it because, after all, my blood pressure seems to be right where it's supposed to be. That's dangerous. Sure. Um, another situation, although maybe less likely, is a... Um, a patient might present their blood pressure readings over a course of a week or so to their physician who might say, well, you know, based on this, it looks like your blood pressure really has been holding very stably where we want it, so maybe we could back off a little bit on the medication we're giving you. Again, probably not going to happen because most physicians would probably want to verify that. Sure. But it, it's a risk that, you know, that patient might then have the wrong level of medication that they need. So that's, that's another concern we have. 
You know, Chris, a lot of times when we're evaluating medical devices, we have the opportunity to talk to the manufacturers and, you know, they can help walk us through uh, typical use cases. And, you know, before publication, we can explain some of our findings to them, you know, get their feedback. And I wonder if we had the opportunity to do that in this situation, especially considering that these aren't our typical medical device manufacturers. These are consumer manufacturers. You raise some interesting questions because one of the challenges we had is because these products are retail, um, consumer marketed, we don't often find that the manufacturers are willing to get back to us. Uh, in fact, right. of the three, only one manufacturer was, a, was actually willing to discuss what we were doing and interested in what we were doing. Um, so. You know, because these, and there's another aspect of this too that I want to mention, that because these devices are not medical devices, um, the manufacturers in general are pretty careful about how they market the device. Mm -hmm. They don't say this is going to be uh, an alternative for using a blood pressure cuff. What they'll say is, you know, this will provide you with blood pressure information, and then they use the common language that we see, which is, you know, these devices are not intended to diagnose, treat, or monitor a medical condition. So that's that's FDA language that's in there that right. you know they are they're basically trying to use that as their out. So no matter what, they're okay because they're not medical devices. Is that something that FDA has any discretion to say? Yeah, you say you're not treating or monitoring a medical condition, but in actuality that's what this is being used for and therefore we're going to we're going to look a little closer to see whether this really is a medical device. Well, and, and I think that's part of what we're concerned about is that, yeah, FDA has chosen to look at this as a fitness tracker and, and view that as a, a source of entertainment, perhaps, or just general information, mm -hmm. as opposed to a device that could be useful for, for medical purposes. And I'm not saying that FDA won't relook at this situation. They may. Sure. If they start to see that people are trying to use devices like these blood pressure watches as a, a, um, a means to, to control or improve their health, they may start to change their opinion or their position on it. But at the moment, I understand that they are viewing this as something that, you know, as I said, is more of an entertainment Kind of outside their purview. Exactly. So if I'm a patient and I want to keep track of my blood pressure, um, but I'm starting to hear that maybe these devices aren't the most reliable way to do that. What, what are my alternatives? Am I, you know, going to the pharmacy every couple of days and putting my, my arm in the thing that's near the, the checkout counter? To, to is, is that kind of my alternative? I'm, I'm obviously still not going to carry a big cuff and, and pressure machine around my, my daily routine. What are my alternatives? Right. Well, there are smaller blood pressure cuffs that you know, are intended for, for home use or outside the, the hospital environment or healthcare environment. Um, and many of those have been through FDA review. So they're, I think they could be considered a trusted way of me measuring your blood pressure. And that's typically what your physician would recommend if you really were hypertensive and, you know, wanted to be, you know, able to check your blood pressure on a regular basis. Um, but as I said, despite the availability of products like that, I think people generally have found that they're not 
they're not the kind of thing that they want to use if they can avoid it because it's inconvenient, they're bulky. They're also kind of awkward to put on if you're by yourself. I don't know if you've ever tried to do it. It's quite challenging to get the cuff on yourself and get it right. Get it on my non-dominant arm and I'm just thinking, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you have someone with you, it's not a big deal, but by yourself, it could be a challenge. So for home use, they're not the ideal instrument. If I'm a provider, thinking about from the provider's perspective, right, and I have a patient who is hypertensive, let's say, or borderline, are, are we, what, what should I, as a provider, what should I be telling my patient then? Should I be saying to them, you know, literally don't rely on these devices or we need to see the technology evolve? Or am I just not mentioning it at all, pretending, you know, fingers in my ears, la, 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 these don't exist? Like, where's, where am I as a provider most of the time? Well, I think... The main thing that physicians should do with their patients is urge them to be cautious about these devices. You know, to be fair, we only looked at three products on the market. There are many. Um, And there are actually a couple of products that have recently gotten FDA clearance. Mm. So I don't want to give the impression that these are not valued, valuable devices for this purpose. There may be some products out there either now or going forward, that are perfectly good for this application. Hmm. But I think, you know, people need to be cautious. They need to understand that just because a product is out there doesn't necessarily mean it's ever been independently confirmed to work properly. Right. And if you can find out that the manufacturer has gotten the device cleared through FDA for marketing, that's a whole different story. Now you're looking at something that probably is a very good uh, device that could be used for this routine monitoring of blood pressure. But without that, you don't really have any way of knowing just how accurate the device is going to be. Hmm. And that's that's really what we would urge physicians to be aware of, uh, as well as uh, people that may want to use these devices. Traditionally, at ECRI, we've looked at devices that are purchased by institutions, uh, ventilators and resuscitators. And I'm thinking about our lab and there's beds and patient lifts and and things like that. So this is relatively speaking newer for us to look at things that are marketed more directly to consumers. And and I wonder if we could, if there's anything to just say broadly about what's prompting us to look in that direction. And do we anticipate that we're going to be doing more of that kind of thing, whether it's blood pressure monitors or other kinds of, you know, consumer-focused devices. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's a very um, good observation you've made. Now, I will say we have looked at devices that can be used in the home in the past. Sure. Years ago, uh, we, we began looking at things like blood glucose monitors. Mm-hmm. That's a good example. Um, but with the trend that more and more healthcare will likely be taking place outside of acute care facilities, we believe that these types of devices are really going to become more and more important at monitoring uh, the condition of a patient or tracking illnesses. We have actually started a few years ago looking at other home care products. We've looked at things like uh, there are some wearable devices, for example, that can monitor your ECG and identify atrial fibrillation. Mm. And we did a study on those. Now, those devices have been through FDA review. So they are reliable and and work quite well. Um, We're also looking at systems that can be used to, uh, by a caregiver, to look at the general health of a patient, like telehealth Mm. uh, approaches. So for example, there are there are scales that a patient could use at home, and that information can be uploaded to the cloud and be accessed by your physician. So there are products that we 
we are looking at for that purpose. But going forward, I anticipate we're going to see more and more things like this, like this blood pressure wearable, which could potentially be used for for the same, you know, for the healthcare purposes in the home. Um, and, you know, with the rapidly evolving uh, technologies and what we're seeing in just the, the fitness wearables, I think we can expect many of those devices are going to start offering other features beyond just looking at your heart rate or how many steps you've walked during a given day. It's a brave new world. Yeah, it is. So I always like to wrap up by asking, you know, what's something that the folks listening today can do today, you know, in terms of improving safety? And, you know, very often we've, we've talked about topics like, you know, the safe use of surgical staplers or endoscope processing and it's a little bit clearer uh, directions that we can take there. This is maybe a little bit um, harder to answer, but whether I'm a provider or a, a you know a patient listening to this, what's something that they can do, you know, today this afternoon when they put down their podcast to say uh, this is something I can do to to make care a little bit safer in this world? Okay, well, it is a brave new world. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, the probably the most important thing is. I think both consumers and physicians that might be working with patients who are consumers of these products should recognize that you need to be skeptical when you when you look at these products. You have to ask questions. Uh, and I mentioned checking with the manufacturer to find out if the product, uh, if it's providing a particular medical value or a particular type of information. Has that device been through any kind of review by FDA? before it got on the market? Has it been independently validated by anybody, you know, like UL or some other test house? Has it, has it been checked to, to show that it actually works properly? Mm. As a minimum, I think that's a first step that I would take if I ever was looking at something and thinking about using it for, for healthcare purposes. Um, one of these types of devices. Uh, the other thing I would encourage is if people have access to Ecri Institute's publications, I think that the, the background article that we wrote on this um, blood pressure wearable uh, topic I think would be a good starting point also, particularly if they're interested in devices that could be used for blood pressure measurement. Good. All right, Chris, thanks so much. All right, you're welcome, Paul. Members of ECRI Institute's Health Devices Program can log in to the ECRI website at www.ecri.org to find the complete evaluations and background guidance. Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts to get our latest episodes. We welcome your feedback. Please visit us at ecri.org podcasts or email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org.